Here's something else that happens every game. Somebody lands on your property, doesn't pay your rent, and then claims they don't have to because you weren't paying attention. It's like, I was in the bathroom. Just pay me my money. (laughs) Welcome to Allegedly with Bo and Ryan, the only entertainment and law podcast that brings you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Allegedly. I'm Bo Bowen. And I'm Ryan Schmidt. You're listening to Allegedly with Bo and Ryan. We're coming to you from our law offices in beautiful, historic Savannah, Georgia, where we'll be chatting about pop culture, hot legal topics in the news, and doing our best to change the way people think about the law and lawyers. But first, a little about us. Ryan recently made world news when he participated in the running of the Bulls. He was the first runner in the event's 700-year history to make the Bulls turn around and run from him. And Bo is an incredible dancer. Bo is so good, in fact, that during his first year of law school, he had to turn down offers to join both the Funky Bunch and Lord of the Dance. It's true. I can jig. Together, we are Savannah's consummate renegade legal titans. And the only corporate and entertainment lawyers in the free world who have never lost a single case. Allegedly. Welcome to episode nine, Ryan. Let's see, nine episodes. We've got enough episodes for every region of the seven kingdoms in Westeros. Uh, Really? You're going to go Game of Thrones this morning, huh? Yep. (laughs) All right. Okay, nerd. Put your money where your mouth is. What are the nine kingdoms of Westeros? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) Absolutely. Why not? Okay, okay. Um, Okay, so we got the north, obviously. Obviously. The Vale. The Riverlands, uh, the Stormlands. I'm counting. That's four. The Crownslands, Sup King's Landing. Okay. The Westerlands, uh, the Vale with the the Moon Door. Oh yeah. The Iron Islands, and how many is that? Is that eight. That's eight. Um, Dorne. Dude, and now I love Game of Thrones as much as the next person. That was intense. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but if there's nine, why are they always saying the seven kingdoms? <laughs> That's a bit of a misnomer for sure. I mean, apparently there were only seven kingdoms when Aegon the Conqueror came in to Westeros. But over the years, the dynasty grew. It, it seceded, uh, took on took on Dorne. And also, I believe the um, the Iron Islands also split off from another region. Oh, that was going to be my guess. Yeah, of course. So- <laughs> Okay, so I understand that there's something in the news right now that you want to talk about today. There's apparently some major drama going on in the live concert industry, particularly regarding Taylor Swift. I know, you know, you're somewhat of a Swifty. So uh, tell me, what on earth's going on here? Taylor Swift fans are losing their shit right now. Taylor recently announced the Eras Tour, which was billed as a journey of all of her musical errors in her career. And for the largest pop star of today's age, it was it's actually pretty surprising. It's going to be her first concert tour in over five years. So as you can imagine, people were pretty excited to get their tickets. This past week, that goes on sale on ticket, Ticketmaster.com and the website immediately crashes and all hell breaks loose. People can't 
can't get their tickets. Fans are frozen out of the system. Customer service is unable to field and support requests. And people are pissed off. Really, really pissed. It gets so bad that countless individuals petition their elected representatives. And now the Tennessee Attorney General and the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Competition, Policy, Antitrust, and Consumer Rights are getting involved. Seriously? (laughs) This moment has been building for over a decade, really, since Ticketmaster and Live Nation merged in 2010. And the concern from consumers, state and federal government, is that events like this, um, Taylor Swift ticket debacle, is just the tip of the iceberg for what this company that has a virtual monopoly is capable of. Well, I mean, I guess you're right. I mean, so many people do go through Ticketmaster. I mean, I I could understand why they'd be upset, you know, I mean, but competition is important. I mean, we talk about that all the time in many industries. I mean, without competition, I mean... That's what you need to protect consumers. And, and, you know, it drives innovations. It keeps costs down. So what's the deal here? I mean, why, what, why does Ticketmaster have so much power? It really came, I mean, it, it's, been, it's been boiling up for probably the last 30 years, right? But it really came to a head in 2010. There was two major competitors, as you know, in the market. There was Ticketmaster and Live Nation. Well, Ticketmaster and Live Nation merged in 2010 under a monopoly consent decree that they had to follow all these different rules to protect consumers. And now the federal government is saying, you're not doing enough. All right. Well, I guess that makes sense then because um, AOC, who, as you know, I'm pretty sure I could convince to be my best friend and or girlfriend if we met in person. Of course. I did see a tweet from her, which now I understand better. Now you're telling me she, let me see here. It said a daily reminder that Ticketmaster is a monopoly. It's merger with live nation should never have been approved and they need to be reined in, break them up. So exactly the same thing I say about AOC and her boyfriend. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at what point is this, is this monopoly is enough enough? I mean, This isn't actually the first time that Ticketmaster has been in the legal hot seat. Back in 1994, I think Taylor Swift would have been five at that point, um, Pearl Jam filed an antitrust lawsuit against Ticketmaster, not because of the unfair competitions that the band themselves faced, but to prevent their fans from being ripped off from hidden fees and service charges. I mean, they went so far as to try to purposely book national tours in venues that weren't controlled by Ticketmaster. And I got to tell you, they it was very difficult. They had to seek out all these non-traditional venues, and they, and they did it. But the matter went all the way up to Capitol Hill, where the band actually petitioned that Ticketmaster be stopped from its harmful practices. And after a year investigation, the Department of Justice kicked it out with two sentences saying, eh, no wrongdoing. Jeez, nice. But we're having that exact same conversation nearly 30 years later, and it's only grown since. You know, I know that you love stats. Um, Since since its merger in 2010, what percentage of the live concert market do you think Ticketmaster owns today? Well, I mean, just by virtue of the fact that you're asking me the question, (laughs) I'm going to assume the answer is very high. But that having been said, I don't mean it's obviously not 100% because there are numerous other venues where you can get tickets either directly and, and there are some other uh, ticket companies. So I'm going to guess 60%. It's a good guess. 
but it's actually 80%. Wow. Okay. I mean, 80% of all tickets sold in the United States to any event are going through Ticketmaster. Correct. Man, well, I mean, this, with that much money at play, then I'm probably no wonder that Ticketmaster is going to do everything in their power to shake it off and try their best to remind customers that you belong uh, with me, when in reality, they should never, ever get back together. <laughs> why on earth are you speaking in Taylor Swift songs? Uh, I think the question is, why are you not? <laughs> Man, Bo, I mean... I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Dude, too far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this whole conversation, monopolies are bad. Okay. I think everyone can agree on that, but it does make me think about the board game monopoly. Oh, no. I mean, possibly the only thing in life worse than actual monopolies is the board game monopoly that scourged to mankind that my family inexplicably feels the need to pull out every holiday season. <laughs> Mine too. It's the absolute worst. <laughs> no, I, mean, I know we love lists on this show. So I'm going to challenge you right now because I, I could come up with this off the top of my head. Easy. Why don't we make a list of the things that are absolutely horrible about the board game Monopoly. I mean, wait, Parker Brothers not a sp sponsor of this podcast, right? <laughs> Considering we don't have any sponsors, yes, that's fair to say. Okay, well, take this, Parker Brothers. <laughs> I can tell you one thing that I absolutely hate about playing Monopoly with my family. What's that? Someone else always calls the top hat, like they're calling shotgun, okay? I mean... I get left with the fucking symbol, <laughs> all right? I mean, look, there is 100% a power ranking when it comes to Monopoly pieces. There, And I will accept no debate over this, all right? It goes top hat, race car, dog, battleship, shoe, iron, wheelbarrow, and then thimble. Thimble is the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> you got a point there. <laughs> One thing I hate about it is that the player always ends up putting multiple hotels on boardwalk, right? And, and then my piece gets drawn to that spot every time like an electromagnet. I land on it. I don't even have enough money to pay the thousands of dollars you owe. I have to go into bankruptcy. And then it's like, really, mom? You're going to take all my money? <laughs> that is the worst. And listen. I have never once ever played a game of Monopoly where the banker did not cheat, okay? Look, I get it. Being the banker sucks. It's a lot of extra work for no reason. No one volunteers to be the banker unless they straight up have a plan to embezzle from the bank, <laughs> which typically involves stashing extra hundreds under their legs, right? Period. And by the way, one message to all you Monopoly bankers out there. I've got OCD. Keep the damn bank bills organized, please. <laughs> <laughs> you may not like cheating by the banker, but what about all those cheating by literally every other player? Like, hey, sis, you moved seven spaces, not six. Like, you landed on Boardwalk and you owe $2,000. Stop cheating. We see you. We all see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this? How about... When you get sent to jail, 
and every other player's reaction is to laugh at you. Oh, it pisses me off. I mean, it's like I'm an hour into this damn game. I haven't even made it around the board once yet. I'm yet to pass go. I'm yet to collect $200. I keep landing on go to jail, and my brother won't sell me his get out of jail free card, and everyone thinks it's real funny. Well, you know what? Fuck all of you. (laughs) This is like the most hated I've seen you, and it's Monopoly. (laughs) You know what I hate? When unfair alliances form. You know, that's that's really the stuff that, that will ruin a holiday real fast. Yo, grandma and grandpa, stop bailing each other out. Stop selling all our properties for cheap. You can't raid each other IOUs. You know, this isn't fair. <laughs> yeah, and how, oh, how about this? How about how literally every single person playing apparently has a different interpretation of free parking, okay? Free parking is not a thing. When you land on free parking, nothing happens, period. You don't get to take a bunch of money from the bank, you morons, because you landed on free parking. It doesn't mean anything. (laughs) You park for free. Exactly. (laughs) That makes me think of something else that I hate. I I could probably just shit on Monopoly for, you know, the rest of the the weekend, probably. (laughs) But uh, what I hate is when someone takes out the rule book to prove some ridiculous rule that you've never even heard of, like the fact that the banker is supposed to auction off properties if somebody lands on one but doesn't want to buy it. No one plays that way. Sorry, it, this is my house, and the house rules say, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll tell you another one of my least favorite things. This happens all the time when we play at home. When someone is playing, pulls out the game literally just for revenge. I mean, you, you got to see it, man. It's like, There are consequences when you force someone to be the thimble, all right? You don't know when it will happen. You don't know how it will happen. But ultimately, they're going to make you pay. And they will relish every moment of your misery once they screw you over in Monopoly. Oh, for sure. I mean, here's something else that happens every game. Somebody lands on your property, doesn't pay your rent, and then claims they don't have to because you weren't paying attention. It's like, I was in the bathroom. Just pay me my money. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Oh, my God. I literally could do this all day long. But uh, one of the all-time worst is when the inevitable sore loser storms off and just quits six damn hours into the game. That, that's, that's me, actually. <laughs> I mean, I can picture it out. My little brother loses his stake in the railroads, throws all his money on the board, storms out of the room. Well, you know what? Sorry, bro. This is Monopoly. You can't get out that easy. There is at least 12 more hours left in this game. <laughs> Which is the number one reason why I hate Monopoly. The game just never ends. Why won't it just end already? (laughs) Well, (laughs) finally, I'll leave it with this. All right. There's only one thing worse, but the fact that the game never ends is when it actually finally does end. And you don't just lose. Okay. No, you fail miserably. You've mortgaged all your properties, and then you have to live the rest of your life in humiliation and disgrace due to a board game. (laughs) Fuck my life. (laughs) So basically, I believe what I'm trying to say is this. I'm no fan of Ticketmaster, but I'd rather drop 10 grand for a Taylor Swift ticket than 
ever play another game of Monopoly. <laughs> Fair enough. I will say, though, I love live music, and this whole Taylor Swift, Ticketmaster situation really makes, makes me miss the days where you could just see a major touring act without having to sell a kidney. Well, I mean, I like live music, too, but um, I'm not the concert goer you are, but let me. it actually kind of does make me curious. What Your first concert you ever went to? My first concert I ever went to was and not including like some like free music in the park by like a local band, but like a actual, concert concert con- right. concert concert. Okay, I was eight years old, and I saw Hanson. Whoa! And it was impossible to hear. I remember it was impossible to hear any music over the sonic boom of preteen excitement. Hanson, nice. Well, let me tell you a little something about Hanson. Okay. First of all, that song, Mbop, easily one of the greatest guilty pleasures of my life. Because if I'm in the car and Mbop comes on the radio, I mean, just warning to anyone that may be in the car with me, I am singing that at the top of my lungs. And I will probably continue going Mbop, doobadop, dop, for the whole rest of the day and maybe the next day. <laughs> it's 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 kind of like that uh that Chumba Wumba song, uh tub thumping. Tub thumping. Yeah, it's like I get knocked down, but I get him, you know, yes, rationally I know that song sucks, but I'm going to keep singing it <laughs> for days and days, probably. You take a whiskey drink, you take a lager drink. <laughs> so, so Hanson, first concert, were they like your musical idols back then? Definitely not. I mean, I liked Hanson. I was I was about their age when that all came out in the 90s. And it was great. I, I wanted to be a pop star, so that was that was cool. But I was I was a pretty weird kid. I was actually obsessed with the Beatles. So I remember my parents kind of let me do whatever I wanted to do as a kid. I was I was that kid, you know, like, hey, like I don't really want to do like math right now, like in, in elementary school. I want to do math. I want to do art. And the teacher was like, okay. And so like I would just like do what I wanted to do. And I don't know why people just like empowered me to do that. It was pretty weird. But one day after listening to um, the Magical Mystery Tour, age six, not understanding any of these LSD references. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I want to paint a mural of of the Beatles on my wall. And I want to do one, you know, like, help. One, like, you know, like, <laughs> Magical Mystery Tour. One, Yellow Submarine era. Like, different, different murals all over the place. And I just took some paint. It was terrible. It was so, it was so bad. <laughs> Grade F. <laughs> but I did it, and um, I just remember like listening to those albums and being like, "This is this is the good stuff right here." Yeah, fair enough. I think a lot of people apparently agree with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what about you? Would you remember your first concert? Oh, I absolutely remember my first concert, and uh, and. The artist remembers my first concert too. It was actually no who else but Bo Cephas, Hank Williams Jr. Now let me let me set the stage, okay? Now you have to understand. I grew up in Athens, Georgia. My dad worked for University of Georgia when I was a kid. So, but when I was 10, we moved to this little tiny town in the extreme southwest corner of Georgia called Pelham, Georgia. P E L H A M. Maybe 3 4,000 people the whole town. And Pelham had this little theater there called the Park Plaza Civic Center, 
where you could fit, I don't know, maybe 300 people inside there. And this was well before Hank Williams Jr. started winning Country Music of the Artist of the Year awards, that kind of thing. They right. had not, you know, broken big yet or anything. And really, the only thing we knew about him is he was Hank Williams' son, but no one even knew what to expect. So I remember the night my parents were going to take me to go see Hank Williams Jr. And it's this major thunderstorm going on out there. So we walk in, and, and we literally lived across the street from this Park Plaza Civic Center. Walk in, and there's maybe a dozen people have braved the elements no. <laughs> to to see Hank Williams Jr., okay? And so he comes out. You can tell, like, oh, he's just not, totally not into this. He plays about, I don't know. I'm going to say maybe three minutes when there's a huge lightning flash and all the power goes out. Oh, my God. (laughs) So that's end of the concert. And so then it's like within a couple years, he becomes very popular, very famous. Like I said, becomes country music artist of the year. You know, multi-years in a row is like a huge star at this point. And I remember on uh, country music television seeing an interview with him and they ask him the question, what is the worst place you ever played? He goes, oh, that's easy. Pelham, Georgia. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I thought, yes, I was there. <laughs> so that was my first ever concert. <laughs> that's pretty good. I mean, I have to say, for both me and Hank Williams Jr., very much a life-changing experience. You mean kind of like how our listeners can change their lives by hiring us for their entertainment legal needs. Exactly, Ryan, which is why, of course, we're the most successful lawyers in the history of human jurisprudence. Allegedly. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening to the legal mastery of the highly intelligent and easily most attractive true legal outlawyers in Savannah. And remember, the only lawyers in the free world who have never lost a single case. Allegedly. To continue to receive free edge-of-your-seat legal anecdotes, mind-blowing takes on hot legal topics, and general masterclass in lawsomeness, please head over to the bowenlockgroup.com slash podcast and look Dude, for... Dude, enough's enough. People, are you not tired of Ryan's lectures at this point? Just hit the subscribe button.